We're going to start with me and then go to you, okay? <laughs> yeah, why don't we start with you and then go to me? <laughs> okay. okay, my name is Kent Dahlgren, and this is... Ruth Glendinning. And we're going to talk about the Anti-Fragile Playbook. Because we're anti-fragile, and we want you to be, too. <laughs> yes. Well, now we're recording in progress. Oh, okay. Because, uh, you know, Ruth was super important, and she had to have a call with the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many calls like that. This is uh-huh. probably what happened. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that we've got this podcast um, that talks about the Anti-Fragile Playbook. It's a book that we're writing. Um, it differs from other um, playbooks that I've done in the past and that I wanted to wait until we actually used it on ourselves to release it. So that's part of what we've talked about. Um, we've talked about how we're actually launching a pilot community, basically a living laboratory. And originally we thought it would just be the neighborhood, but actually we ended up getting two communities and then they wanted to combine them so they wouldn't be auto- artificially sundered by things like freeways. And so it's a, it's calibrated to the watershed and it's cool actually. And so we've reached a point now where, you know, we've got um, enough outreach. We've, we've defined the message. We've, we've, we've done this, the different calm steps of uh, uh, the first one being outrage. And then we went to vision and then we identified different forms of capital, such as um, soft capital and, you know, where to find money. And we went right into building the actual uh, activist group, basically the first expression of governance. And then we go right into the next thing. And next thing you know, we've got software, we've got a community, we've got outreach, we've got communication materials, we're talking to people who would, um, you know, the, the craft, the people who are doing craft, the creators, the makers and the doers, you know, they're signing up. So that's cool. So as that's happening, that gets us a lot closer to actually finishing up what Ruth and I had called our first season, which would be, you know, we get it to the point where we actually launch the, the living laboratory. And what's happened concurrently is that um, because that is, is beginning to manifest as a referenceable example that the antifragile principles work, we end up having an opportunity to demonstrate them in other and complementary domains. And so this is me getting ready to pass the puck to you. So <laughs> as the market gets a little bit crazy leg on this one, um, we see an interesting <laughs> opportunity. Sorry, the inside joke here. I've been calling Ruth crazy legs. And she just rolls her eyes every time because it's not really who she is, but it's sort of my thing I made up. So as the economy gets weird and it gets a little pear-shaped, we have this, um, we have this thing um, where we realize in our conversations with people, we have an opportunity to demonstrate anti-fragile um, principles in other domains, such as real estate. So we've been throwing this thing back and forth because that's how we roll. And so Ruth has a company called Future Story Labs, and she's all about defining products, full spectrum capital products with an emphasis on sustainable, et cetera. So she's come up with this product called Sprout. And I'm dying for her to talk about it because actually just as soon as she defined the product called Sprout, we have an opportunity to manifest it in reality, in an application of it. We are calling Bene Essay. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but I love it yeah, because it's actually, it's the, what is it? The Greek term? for the um, latin uh, the latin word for well-being right it's a latin word for for well-being but it also suggests a beneficial essence it's very you know hippie i kind of dig it mm-hmm. but anyway so the thing is is that in the conversations and this i'm now you're getting ready to catch it because i'm going to throw that thing right to you in a second um <laughs> in our conversations with landowners it inverts the normal model like normally people say well i've got to put together some people so i can buy some land so i can do a thing but there's something wrong with that on a few levels. One of them is, is that some people don't want to sell their land. And, um, and, uh, and also, it's hard to put together capital to, to purchase land. And what if we did it a different way? What if we came up with a plan that helps people keep their land while um, uh, uh, increasing the value of the land while repairing the soil? Right. And uh, and that actually changes the dynamic. It, it, no longer are we trying to go find people that want to sell land. All we've got to do is share a plan with them and they get to decide whether or not they want to be part of it. And, and, and a fundamental part of it is that the definitions of what makes it work are aligned to anti-fragile principles. So it can protect and elevate the value of land, even if the real estate market goes crappy. And I kind of dig that, actually. So anyway, do you want to talk about Sprout? You want to talk yeah. about like, I mean... Uh, that's a good decent intro three four minutes yeah I, I, I call mean, with the president so it's perfect you, know? <laughs> you didn't say president of what i know, I know. Shh. it's 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 not a and, capital p president <laughs> and, and and y'all might hear both kent and i coughing a little bit every now and then because central texas so yeah. anyway we do allergies um here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so nobody else move here please right. so um and, and when you were talking about when we were writing the anti-fragile uh, playbook we're actually living it. I just yeah. wanted to insert that because people have this idea that writers go into this hermetically sealed space where it's all just, you know, you just kind of draw from your content and you craft this beautiful thing. And, and that certainly is a part of it. 
but you got to live it before you can tell the story. And it certainly has been an opportunity for each of us in our own spaces to be anti-fragile because, you know, there's always kind of something being thrown your way in this world. And unfortunately, people tend to tense up into a protective mode. So they become more breakable. They they become fragile because if one little thing goes wrong, it's all just a house of cards. It's done. And so the the beauty part of this is that um, we each in our own paths have uh, created a, a strength of discipline to examine what comes in and not just react but kind of really think about it and talk it out and i think that that's one of the 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 parts of living that many people don't have that seems to be a luxury now is to take the time to discern and to talk it out and to craft what's next because they're just trying to survive you know and i don't feel that that what we see in the media captures the urgency of what's going on and um and it's, it's it's very dystopic you know, and so that said, we're we're realists. You know, we, we're dealing with life day in, day out. You know, people get sick, things happen, and you just got to keep going. So I do believe that when we talk to this about people with people about this, is that they feel the authenticity of, you know, the fact that we've actually lived this path, not just observed it. Yeah. So just wanted yeah. to say that. So, yeah. and and I do. Uh, my friends who who know me. Um, you know, all y'all who listen, you already know I'm a word nerd, so there's that. But the, my friends who know me, <laughs> totally. Um, but the the uh, you know, I, I I'm always kind. Of, whenever I see a word, I think about what else it can be. Right. So as I uh, some of y'all may know, I've been writing a lot of poems. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I'm at, at almost 460 since February 17th of 2021, mm-hmm. and. As they have evolved, I keep thinking, this is the end, this is the end, and the end is not here yet. But what it's given me a chance to do is to think about the process of uh, growing and what we're doing internally. It's seed, root, grow, sustain, flourish, peace, and rebirth. So there's that seven arc. Wait a second. Seed, yeah? Yeah, just go through it slowly. Seed. Seed, because it starts with seeds. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Root. Mm Mm-hmm. Grow. Right. Sustain. Yep. Flourish, uh-huh. peace, uh-huh. and rebirth. Yeah, no, I mean, like it's full cycle, and it's actually full cycle. Um, it's a metaphor that people understand. And then remember when that dude told us that the seed is technically a root because it has yeah, everything it needs to survive. Yeah, so you know, it ends up, yeah, Patrick. So it ends up being a full circle, and it's something that I think everybody understands. And it's a it's a metaphoric framework that people can begin imagining. That um, even though, and I, I did, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I do want to call attention to this. Oh. They believe that when there's a certain story arc that begins to trend towards decline, they don't recognize that that decline might actually be the beginnings of a rebirth. And and yeah, and and, and using plant metaphor can be a little confusing if people just think, well, that's just not how the world works. It's literally how the world works. Exactly. How <laughs> it's the world like works. literally how the world works. <laughs> and and the only reason you think that's not the case is because the existing system is insufficiently optimized. Right. And, and we've been using well, this metaphor of, you know, I've been saying, you know, people have been rewarded for for watering the leaves, but they forgot the roots. And, and Ruth correctly pointed out, yeah, those who are watering the leaves are doing it because the people in charge have become addicted to just eating fruit to the extent that they forgot what roots even are. And it's just metaphor, yes. but it's true. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and what is life but metaphor? Right. right. It's, it's like right. we're all this is the human need is to break it into a story for understanding. Right. And the, the problem is that we're now a few generations into people being disconnected from story and they're being disconnected from nature. So though you and I, and, and, you know, probably way more people than we believe understand a natural arc from seed to rebirth, you know, they're just not in the habit of it. And that's why we like to introduce this stuff. But all that said, um, when we were trying to come up with a name as, as Kent said, for this project, this product, um and Bene essay was nice because it's latin for well-being so but then it didn't feel like it was in alignment with the seed to rebirth arc okay. right. felt like something else needed to happen then all of a sudden it was like oh my gosh it's sprout i yeah. mean what happens you get a sprout right and um another little weird word habit i have is i will take a word and you know detail the meaning of each letter so mm-hmm. for sprout it's s is sustainable P is portable, R is regenerative, O is organic, 
U is either United, Universal, or Unbound. We're still in decision process on that. And T is for transparent. So this is what we're looking for. We needed a, a product that we could carry to people to kind of sum out, summarize the big vision so that they have as what we like to say is a simple entry point to complexity. Yeah. Because you can't go to people with the entire you know, world and ask them to pick a place to live. You're like, they get so overwhelming. Yeah. So we, you know, we want to meet people. We want to use language that is accessible and meaningful yeah. to people. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's been a real um, interesting process that as soon as we get clear on it, we can provide clarity for others. So I want to introduce, I just pause for a second and share an interesting um, dynamic that I think, because this can all be very ethereal, but people don't realize the, mm -hmm. the, the methodology that both Ruth and I use to inspire our creativity is ongoing conversations with others who are in a situation where they need to come up with an alternative. And, and, and the, the dynamic that we introduce is that unlike most people, we actually know how to build things. And I'm not suggesting that people, I don't wanna make it sound like because they don't know how to build things, there's some sort of inferiority or superiority thing, and not at all. It's just that, you know, um, for instance, I went to school when I was a teen and I became certified as a mechanic. Uh, with gasoline and diesel and other maintenance stuff. So I know how vehicles work. It doesn't mean that that's what I continue to do, but, I, but I'd still work on my own cars, right? And, um, and likewise, um, my chosen professional endeavor had to do with research and product development. So when people look at things like a printer, I'm looking at a printer right now, or a copy machine or, or, or something else, I have enough professional experience to know just what it took to actually build that thing. And it takes a lot, right? And Ruth has similar background on this. So here's the thing is that a lot of people don't actually have that background. It's not in their education and it's definitely not in their professional. They might've done a certain thing. They might have some insights on how other things come together, but they tend to just purchase things, right? And mm -hmm. so when, when we end up, this is literally what ended up happening is that we found that increasingly we were talking to people, we are talking to people who have land and it's not just in Texas, but like literally all over the world. And they're saying to us, Basically, we've been listening to your podcast. We see your articles. We can tell that you know how to make things happen. And so, um, and it's also important that they recognize that although we are ready and willing to acknowledge their state of outrage, we don't stay there. We want to transform mm -hmm. it into something that is that it ends up evolving. So they start, inter they start um, engaging us in conversations about what could I do with this? And, and here's the cool part about this is that they all usually have uh, uh, um, um, a seed of their own. They have an idea mm -hmm. um, of, of something. And I'm thinking of the one that's east, east of here. She has this idea. She wants to do this thing. She just doesn't know how to get from here to there. So she engages us in conversations about how to make that happen. Well, Ruth, as a product designer, because that's basically what she does, she, she takes these and she creates products within a certain framing. And so she starts thinking, well, how could we incorporate that within a more holistic plan that, that ends up being complementary? And, and on multiple levels and is actually actionable. And then she, then she invites the other parties to consider that that seed could actually manifest in unexpected ways. So it's from that, these types of conversations that she ends up with, you know, sustainable, portable, regenerative, uh, organic, and, you know, unbound or universal and transparent. And, um, and it's worth noting that a decade ago, Ruth ran uh, community Renaissance Market, which was an old grocery store, and its central feature was the bakery and the kitchen, and they used that to, to, to incubate 90 small businesses, and it was from that mm -hmm. experience that she had insights into what she calls slow tech, sustainable, local, organic uh, work plus technology, and so, you know, um, it's, it's the way to properly orient technology instead of putting it out front, putting it where it belongs, which is like literally under the hood. Nobody looks at a motor, come on, so, you know, and this is the thing is it's that dynamic. And the reason I like to share that is, is that I want people to learn how to do things because I think it really helps people heal. It helps them through this experience. So anyway, I wanted to share that dynamic. Well, so people didn't think we we're just sitting around sipping coffee and yeah. you know, we do sip coffee, by the way. Well, see, yeah. but you know, um, but, but, but yeah, and that's really it is, you know, you've heard me kind of bang the drum on productive capacity Yes. where um, they just keep, building affordable housing around consumers. And it's not affordable unless people have the ability to afford it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's always flipping the script is that um, as you and I and others have delved into this, we realized that this whole story we've been told of what 
you know, like, like people are trying to create a lifestyle versus a living experience, you know, it's always this kind of right. uh, uh, commodified, commoditized rather um, picture, like here in Austin, you know, the we're, you know, most people I know were quite happy to see that Austin has fallen out of the top 10 of places to live, yeah. you know. And what was cited is the things that have always been the problem in Austin. Right. It's the affordability. It's the ability to engage with the environment. It's the you know, driving traffic, all that kind of stuff. Right. None of that is made better by adding more people with more expectations. Right. And so, so happily, we're number 13. So y'all stay home, you know. Um, but we still have these pockets of Austin everywhere. It's like, how do we reward how do we we discover and reward those people who are kind of holding the fort on this stuff right well we have to create a place the right container for that potential right where they can keep making their magic yeah. where they're 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 productive because it's part of the human experience to be productive we are not designed to just consume yeah and whenever you see these um you know these developments that are going up the houses are bigger and the houses consume more yeah. The people are in there, they have, you know, their amenities are just more places to shop. Yeah. And so it just seems so simple to say, why don't we create the community renaissance market virtually using the 214 platform? Yeah. You know, it's just, we've yeah. already proven that makes people happier. Right. Well, you we know? Had an interesting... and... Go ahead. No, it's like, and, and it's, it's frustrating um, because people are so bound to the transactional uh, part of capitalism, only recognizing dollar values, right. that you see all of these amazing ideas and people and potentials that are just kind of tossed away. Right. And this, 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 by having a virtual marketplace, you can capture that. Yeah. So it just seems obvious, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it all depends on a person's interest though. You know, like I, um, yeah. um, I have a stepsister that does basically the same thing I do in terms of like product work um, but her interest isn't what mine is my interest is introducing what are called disruptive models and um and I, I like it for a few reasons one of them is it's hard it's hard to introduce a disruptive model in fact there is actually a nomenclature for this there's actually um, a, a formal definition when i say disruptive i don't mean destructive within the context of, of business and, and technology a disruptive innovation is one that is usually um, uh, usually sprouted from within the existing system, but it's actually suppressed because it run it's, it, it's for a couple of reasons. One of them is it's just it's rightfully perceived to be a rival to the existing model. But the other reason is more practical is that there really isn't any incentive to pursue it in the first few years because there's almost no monetary reward for doing so. So what mm -hmm. happens, and this is something I worked at Xerox, and so I, I had an opportunity to work with. Um, some really, really bright people. And I worked a lot with a lot of people at the Palo Alto Research Center and the guy who ran the parks labs, you know, he actually issued a book, um, uh, which is a collection of his essays after his tenure. And he talked about what he called the social life of information. And he correctly pointed out that mm. if you can't find a way for that information, that innovation to move, you know, within an organization, it finds a path an adjacent path and it goes out. So Xerox is a great example of that. They found a really profitable model. And in protecting that model, they did everything they could to suppress innovations that found a path out into other companies. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that's how you get Apple and all the other stuff. It's like a famous thing. So I like disruptive models. I, I enjoy it. I see it because it's actually a way to get your foot in the door on an emergent opportunity to be first to market. And, and for whatever reason, I dig it, but not everybody's like that. Not, and in fact, that's been my experience. Most people will say, we acknowledge and recognize that you dig disruptive models. In fact, there's some grudging respect because it takes a lot to do it, but there really isn't any money in it until there is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, so, yeah. So what they do is they say, yeah, yeah, can't, uh, I mean, we see it. That makes sense. It's aligned to best practices, blah, 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 blah. But you know, um, but it, it actually just makes more financial sense to just keep doing what we're doing, which is true. If you're, if you are, um, if you are uh, inclined towards hitting the thing to get the thing, as Ruth says, it's just that um, I can see because I'm good at reading leading indicators and therefore I'm good at defining strategy. I can see diminishing returns on that model. And, and, and that actually creates, this isn't, you know, a dating site. This isn't printers. This isn't 
um, uh, 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 custom wheels. This is people's ability to survive, right? And so I felt like maybe it was worth just getting all in on this one. And the and the and the challenge with it is that you just can't get people to change their course until it the other course stops working. They they won't accept something new until they right. have no other option. And it would be well, cool. I would prefer if it were something like we're talking about sponges that are used to wash cars, but we're literally talking about people's ability to stay in their homes and survive. And that's hard. You know, that's hard for us. So. And, 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 you know, there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, this is, this is years, if not generations of being acculturated to believing what you're told. Right. And you can't question anything because every question could change the trajectory of what you need to do. And you just don't have the capacity, right? you know? And so when people say to me, why doesn't so-and-so do this or that? And I'm like, because they're doing the best they can with what they have. Right. The, the point is, is that we have to give more tools to people and that includes language and it includes, a, you know, a, a access to the internet and it includes, a, you know, somebody to watch their kids. So for two hours a day, they can learn a new language or whatever they need to do. Right. And really think about how you're asking people to do more with less because you're keeping more for yourself mm -hmm. and, and being very ungenerous in um, you know, telling yourself and, and putting them in this box for your for your comfort, you know, mm -hmm. for you, you're not taking any ownership of the cost that you're pushing off on people who have no capacity to receive it. Right, right. And and that's where, uh, you know, as we all know, language is my favorite. Right, that's the technology that will take you everywhere. Right. And you know, people can't ask for that which they don't know exists. You know, because I remember at Community Renaissance Market where people wanted to create a food business or do something, you know, on the up and up and, right. and create a little business. They had no idea how to ask what credentials they needed, what licenses they needed. Exactly. They, they don't think about distribution or that. They're like, I'm doing my part. I'm showing up with an idea. Right, right. And so what we did is we spent a lot of time coaching people. Yeah. And, you know, making sure that they just had a one simple list of things they could do. Yeah. But, you know, there were parts of their lives we couldn't handle, you know, and, and I've been asking um, a lot of my friends who have kids, you know, I said, what are you going to do with your kids this summer? Because everyone's working extra jobs. Everybody's, you know, and, and some people are, are wealthy and they're like, oh, I'm sending them to camp. I'm like, oh, OK, so yeah. you're, you're shipping them out and doing that thing. Mm -hmm. Or they have they can they can, you know, bring in extra bodies to do the work. Yeah. But that's not most people, yeah. you know, and and you have kids that in Austin, I think it's 40 percent of the kids get um, extended food from yeah. the, uh, the, the the schools. And, and I think about this stuff all the time yeah. where it's like, why are we not giving people the productive capacity, the tools to actually be of service to their family and their community rather than just kind of, you know, having to chase after pennies and try and survive? Because right. mentally and emotionally, that's just, it, it, it just wears people down. Yeah. And that, that's why I get so excited about what we're doing. Well, what we're doing <laughs> One is, of the many reasons. Yeah. what we're doing is trying to go rope people into participating and, um, mm -hmm. and they got to opt in and not everybody's feeling it. And I'm mm -hmm. okay with that. Um, I've got this, like I said, I'm, I'm good at reading leading indicators. I'm good at discerning likely outcomes. It doesn't mean I predict the future. You're not any different. We're not predicting the future. We just have a pretty good sense of where things are headed. Like, and I, I, you know, there are times when people said, how did you know? And it's like, because I know how to look at what's happening. Here's a really good example. Never in the history of man has there not been a recession, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. these, are, these are not, these are not like, this is, you should not be getting any kind of award for that kind of amazing insight, right? I mean, and you could, right. just, you could just tick those off. So, you know, if it were just a few years ago and it was, I was like, huh, I can mm -hmm. kind of see how this is. I can see the story arc. I can see it playing out. And, uh, and I want to get in front of it. And, um, and not everybody has that same desire. And I'm cool with that. It's not going to take everybody. But it does remind me of something like um, I got, I, I liked being a skateboarder when I was a kid, but I realized my love for skateboarding could actually be expressed in a greater way if I could take a break from actually being an athlete and helping build places that other people could use mm -hmm. to become better athletes. So it's sort of a next level thing. And likewise, uh, there was a certain point of inflection where I recognized I was becoming savvy enough about navigating the nuances of the public process um, that I could actually 
affect a greater, like an order of magnitude influence among my fellow skateboarders and the growing community of people who weren't even skaters. Because by then I'd been working with neighborhood associations, business districts, et cetera. If I were to actually not just help with that public process, but help others become more effective in that public process. So it's an interesting evolution because as, as time has evolved, you know, you know, I, I don't skateboard very much, you know, I'm 54 years old. That's probably the normal thing. Most of us aren't people like Tony Hawk, right? But I can, you know, I can, I can knock through one of these plans on how to actually get a public amenity done. And it's because you learn by teaching. So not only did I realize that I could move into that next level thing, but I've also learned by teaching others. And so the reason I share it that way is that I'm not looking for most people to understand what we're talking about. We literally don't need most people to understand. There are a small number of people like us who are ready to receive the message and they have a disproportionate influence on how things happen. So we, so it, so it's very much like, I, you know, the metaphors are, are weird because not everybody gets them, but I did actually go to school to be a mechanic and I understand how a transmission works, right? I understand how and why when you put it in first gear, it is only able to go like four miles an hour, the vehicle is, but it has a ton of torque. And um, good luck mm -hmm. if you try to get in front of a car that's in first gear, because you ain't nothing, nothing going to stop that car. So that's why, for instance, you get a four wheel drive and you put it in four wheel drive and it's in low range and it's in first gear and it just drives over trees because nothing stops it. But it also doesn't go fast. And if you were to look at the gears, there's a reason for that. There's a little itty bitty gear <laughs> that's moving mm -hmm. a big gear and it has tons of torque. And that's literally, it's a really great way of expressing what some people call frequency. We know we don't have many mm -hmm. people that are listening, but it's the right people. And, and I believe that they're ideally positioned to influence others to pick up even a small amount of what we're talking about that has a disproportionate influence upon the system. Because we're not talking about dating sites, printers, or, or sponges to wash cars. We're talking about keeping people in their homes so it doesn't mm -hmm. devolve into utter chaos. Like that's what we're talking about. And so I like it. It's, it's rewarding for me. And I, I don't care that I'm, um, you know, on paper, I'm broke and, uh, uh, and all that. It's worth it to me to actually step into service. I, I dig it because I end up being with people like Ruth, who's super cool. You know, I don't know what to say about it. So, uh, it, well, but, but I think too, that one of the things that uh, we talk about is creating a legacy of opportunity. Yeah. Is that, you know, I'm, I'm at an age where a number of my friends' parents are dying and other older relatives and, uh -huh. and they, 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 they're very wealthy and you know and they they were the, the dragon with their treasure you know and they're still dead okay right. you know it's like and the truth is is that people aren't gonna remember you i mean you, you know at, at our age cohort we can talk about people who were like world famous yeah 20 years ago and, and you talk to your kids and they're like who so we have to be realistic that mm -hmm. that you know, the only thing that matters is what's real, is not a building with your name on it, not a, you know, a story about you or whatever. Like, what are you actually doing to create a world for the future you're never going to be part of? Yeah. And that's that's an act of faith. Yeah. That is an act of saying that they're just as, you know, for myself, I certainly... Um, <laughs> had access to opportunities, but I certainly bungled a lot of them because I wasn't ready to receive them. I didn't know what to do, but, and I've, and I've had the great opportunity to age into wisdom. And I want that for others. Now the world is moving faster now, you know, all of a sudden you wake up one day and all of a sudden there's a war in Europe, you know, and you have never even had a chance to go to Europe and you may not because of COVID, you know, it's like all these things that are considerations. And so what it's about is how are we rooting deeper? You know, how are we, as you started out speaking about this, how are we fixing the land under our own feet? Yeah. So that we can have the um, rooted story of who we are and be able to gift that to others who, who are going to be here long after we are. Yeah. And it, it's a mindset. And so we're, fortunate to have found a landowner who has that thinking yeah and so it's going to be a great way for us to prototype this it's not even say, one it's not even one a, landowner no 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 but there's one that's most immediate that inspired the sprout yeah um product because as we test that product of how do you help landowners who have a real commitment to stewardship of the land right to have their 
legacy be that the land keeps going on and improving. Right. And it actually feeds people in the way it was designed to do. Because, you know, we're all just stewards of this place. Right. Nobody owns it. And so, you know, we're fortunate we found somebody that's pretty close here. And it's going to be a great way to put this product called Sprout together so that all these other landowners, we can say, great. You know, if you're uh, if you're in your 60s or 70s and you're getting tired of farming or ranching and you don't have family that wants to take it over, don't just hand it over to the developers. Yeah. Because last I checked, we still need land to grow food. You know. Yeah, I mean, you can. So, I mean, that's what we ran into for a long time is people would have conversations with us and then it ticked all the, they were like, okay, well, I feel good because I feel like I gave them attention and it seems like maybe that's what they needed. But ultimately, I'm just going to sell it to developers and then I'll cash out. I made money through it, you know, hooray. And so that's a, a really good segue because um, because when you're doing product design, because that's what we're doing, it's important not to focus on how that's, I tell people all the time, like I'm a really technical guy and I'll tell other technology people, like literally you're doing this wrong. If you focus on how, like really how is almost mm-hmm. not relevant until you figured out how to address the more pressing issues. There are critical questions, which are, who are we talking about it? Why does it matter to them? And once you've nailed that, mm-hmm. once you've hit diminishing returns, then you can talk about what you're doing. And only then is how even remotely important, but in, right. a, in a world that is really sort of, you know, enamored with itself and, you know, ringing its own bell, they tend to focus too much on, on, you know, how they do things or or what it is, but we've spent 30 minutes talking about why it matters. Right. And it's a really great, it's a rich environment for doing product design. That's literally the conversations we have. And it's in that context that the woman with this acreage is like, okay, well, you guys have hit all the stuff that matters to me. And I want to make a difference. I don't want to just, you know, um, you know, go into the, you know, march off into the night so to speak right mm-hmm. and, and and do so without actually leaving any lasting uh, legacy on the world i want to figure out how to do something different and i dig it we don't need everybody to do it but i do like that she's, no. she's interested so that's all of the ethereal sort of why and and who but that stuff is critical and we've just talked it to death and i could talk about it forever but it actually is a really good point of pivot because then i'm i've got in front of me the printed proposal that we'll actually be talking about on this weekend even more so mm-hmm. that ends up going right to what it is because we have to go eventually at some point you know we've got the who and we talk about the why and then you move into the what so let's talk about the what really quick so the Mm -hmm. baseline supposition around property ownership is that when you buy some land it's yours which is actually technically false i'm just going to put that one to bed Mm -hmm. landowners don't want to hear that but it's actually true unless you're a church or uh, the indigenous um, the fact is you don't actually have the the title to the land the government does and so if you stop paying taxes and fees they default and it becomes theirs again and what you're doing is you're buying the right to get the benefit from the land, which you might realize when it's sold. So that's sort of a baseline thing. And and again, I'm not trying to share that to change anybody's mind about property ownership. I'm just saying that's a fact and there ain't nothing really going to change that. So even that said, most people believe, but if you buy property, it's a good thing because then you make money because property always goes up in value. And that isn't necessarily true. I do want to point out that that's not actually always true. There's a few things that could go wrong with it. One of them is, is that um, the the taxes and the fees associated with having the benefit of holding title can continue to increase to the extent that it is a false economy. And I can give a really practical example. You can buy land in Austin and it's, whoa, things are really, really going up in value. It's a great mm-hmm. place to buy, except that so are the property taxes. And it could be that the ongoing maintenance of the property plus the increased property taxes are mitigating whatever profit you hope to get out of selling the home. And then people say, well, still, it's always going to continue to go up. Texas is different. You know, I don't know. That's like saying that recessions are not going to happen. I I don't know what that means. Eventually, markets come down. If they go up, they come down. That's been the case since I don't know when, right? So since markets were invented. (laughs) Right. So it could be, it could be that the maintenance of the property plus increasing um, uh, taxes and fees. end up hitting a really interesting intersection point when the value of the property begins to go down. And then you end up upside down. And I know that people in Texas consider themselves immune to what happened with cruelty elsewhere in the country uh, in the 2008 recession. And in Portland area, it was awful. I mean, it really put, it really stopped gentrification in its tracks. And it 
I mean, I love it. I love when cities get weird, by the way. I love mm -hmm. it when it hits the skids because suddenly you've got art and you've got all that stuff. Suddenly it becomes a place to live. But if you were a property owner, you owed sometimes tens or even hundreds of thousands more than the house was actually worth. Then you've got a liability on your hand. And that's where we end up having foreclosures. We had short sales. People were trying to sell the home for less than what they actually owed because the value had actually dropped. So, you know, I know that people tell them tell themselves and they tell me that there's never going to be a real estate crash. And again, that has never been the case in the history of man. What goes up comes down. There's all there's no way around mm -hmm. it. So we're talking to people that have land and deep down inside, they recognize that that land that they consider to be an asset and the foundation of stability might actually be in peril, especially if things get weird. So this is a perfect recipe for introducing anti-fragility as a concept. Because again, the baseline supposition with anti-fragility is that it, 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 it gains benefit from the system as it degrades, right? So creating a system that is actually um, rewarded and it thrives in an environment of stress would be would be advantageous if we could come up with one that actually applied to property ownership. Because if we can do mm -hmm. that, we can go to property owners and say, guess what? Don't worry. We've got a plan that helps bring you benefit relative to how bad the economy gets and uh, in a way that leaves things better. And so it's in that context. It's like right here on the front page. I've got, it says Bene Essay and it's got trademark because that's how we roll. And it's like a semi-portable <laughs> and regenerative beneficial essence delivering sustainable economic development and well-being to a communal living. And, and then it's got this illustration that Kelly did, and it's, it's, it has a flower metaphor that's got like food and farming, water, energy, housing, health, and, and art. It's like the five petals of the flower. And, uh, and in the middle, it says community, culture, and commerce. And then I put a, a, a star wheel gear on it because I like engines. So it, it, it ends up being very reminiscent of, of a lot of the stuff that Ruth has done for a long time. In fact, this Bennett essay is literally an expression of the sprout product, the sprout being sustainable, mm -hmm. portable, regenerative, uh, uh, organic, uh, unbound and, and universal and transparent. And so we're using those words on purpose because it introduces an opportunity for us to define key performance indicators that are quantitative and qualitative so we can build an anti-fragile system based on the constraints that we have just described. I know that may be a little overwhelming, but that's how you build things, right? If you don't measure it, it doesn't improve. So what we need to do is come into an, a complex system and define an array and a number of quantitative and qualitative measures. And we put it within a key performance indicator framework. And then you just do a quarter by quarter plan that brings about an improvement on all of those metrics that is qualitative and quantitative. And if you build an anti-fragile system, it's one that has disproportionate benefit relative to how bad things get. And I'm loving it. It's actually a fantastic uh, opportunity for us to uh, uh, put into practice that which we've been talking about. So, I mean, I, I well, just said a lot, so I'm going to stop talking. And, yeah, no, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, as I said earlier, we really focus on what is the easiest entry point? What's the smallest entry point? Because there's universes of information here. Right. And, um, and, and where we are now uh, socially um, and economically, and this is on a global level, it's been that old uh, metaphor of the boiling of the frog. Right. You know, it's been a very slow boil to get here. And everybody's had recognition in their own life, but they don't have the tools to actually compare their experience with others. Right. So it has, it takes a while to get to critical mass. Right. And so when people like you and me and Trudy and, you know, we've had this long tail on the story, mm. you know, and we're just collecting these little pieces here and there and there. Now the picture is becoming clear to so many people and they're still trying to take it all in. And the trouble is, is that for them to take it all in, in the way we've experienced in our decades of work to get to this point, everything's going to be gone. Everything's right. going to fall apart. There's not another, because I tell people, it may have taken me 28 years to get here, but I'm committed that there's not, no one else is ever going to have to take that long to get to where they need to go. Mm -hmm. That is my commitment. You know, there's people out there who feel like you have to suffer as much as I did. It's like, well, dude, what's the point of creating a solution if you just want people to suffer to receive it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, our job is to work it to a point where people can get it. They can feed their kids. They can stay in their house. They can make a plan for a future, not just right. kind of keep their nose to the grindstone and hope it all works out. So it's, you know, I, I, and I know you and Trudy are the same. 
we have nothing but compassion for the people who are just in overwhelm right now. Yeah. There's no, there's no gloating like, oh, well, we figured it out before. So what? It didn't, you know, it's still here. Right. And so, so this is where uh, I think part of the reason that people are, are a little agog at this is they're like, why do people care about me? You know, they're out of the habit of being valued in this world we're in right now. Right. Because they're not, they don't aspire to be billionaires. They don't aspire to, to create widgets or do whatever. Right. Um, there was, uh, there's a, uh, the Y Combinator is, probably, is in the high tech world is a well-known incubator where they're kind of trying to move people through to the money quickly. Right. And they sent out a uh, missive today or yesterday that a friend of mine posted warning people who are on that path, who have geared themselves towards that quick hit money right. to take a breath because it's all changed. Yeah. The, I mean, we've been saying that's this for not years. a path anymore. We've been saying this and, for years, but, by the way. <laughs> but no, I, I understand. But, but the Y Combinator that makes money right. keeping people on that path or telling people not to go on the path. It's a good, it's a good point of, but they're not out. providing a solution. Well, it's a good way of pointing out that, that I'd say that a lot of people consider Y Combinator to be a, 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 what they would consider a leading indicator, but, it, but mm -hmm. the fact that they're behind on this is, is proof. This is what I keep telling people. Like I, I've worked in industry. I've worked in, in large corporations. Some of them are publicly traded mm -hmm. and they want to do strategic planning. And what you end up having to do is to persuade executives uh, on, a, uh, on, on how to actually execute, what plan to execute. And what you run into is people to say, but, but Gardner and Forrester and RD, IDC haven't said that yet. Well, those are, those are analyst houses and you pay a lot of money for the reports, Gardner, and they end up hiring people to do research, but they're not leading indicators. They're trailing indicators. And Y Combinator is another great example of a trailing indicator, but people believe they're a leading indicator. So when Y Combinator is telling them something, that means that we are already past the point of inflection. They're behind the ball on this one. Right. And, and this, we end up having this great thread on just like an hour or two ago, Ruth, you mm -hmm. and I, and Pete, Pete is someone that used to be um, a director within my nonprofit. Um, and he actually was the art director for the company that does design of the Dungeons and Dragons games. So he's a game designer. He's a great artist, by the way. And we end up talking about this is that you, you know, people have been rewarded for a transactional system, which is basically a way that says when you do a thing, a thing happens because that's how things have always exactly. Happened. But it actually makes them brittle. It makes them rigid and mm -hmm. brittle when the system stops working. And they also and they, known as fragile. And yes. Also known as fragile. And they <laughs> double down. They go, that can't be right. Are you telling me that a recession is coming, even though it's happened every single time in human history? For the first time in history, we haven't figured out how to solve recessions. I don't understand what you're saying. Or I think you're wrong. I think the real estate market has finally found a place that it'll never never turn around it'll always be good it'll never be bad it's like it's completely unreasonable things and they rigidly rigidly hold on it ironically makes them not very well suited to change their path and mm -hmm. i don't know what to do about that people reach their point i don't know what it takes i kind of do but it's basically discomfort but so then you and i and pete end up having this conversation about this thing ruth you talk about transacting transformation and i like it a lot mm -hmm. because as a, as a product designer and pete as a game designer now we can say if you can put together a series of interactions that are rewarded with a number of transactions, you might actually bring about a transformational change. And it's similar to leaving a trail of, of breadcrumbs that might lead somebody away from slaughter, right? And it's gonna take it's gonna take a leap of faith on the part of people because they've got it in their head. They'll say, I don't understand. I, everything was working according to plan in the 1980s, but for some reason it's not working anymore. Well, guess what? It's not the 1980s anymore. I don't want to tell you, you know what I mean? So, you know, not everybody's going to get it, but we don't need everybody to get it right off the bat. There's going to be a few that are like, okay, I get it, you know, and, and there's going to be an ideological match where they want to leave behind a legacy that, that, that reveals that they actually cared about their community and, and others will follow and, and we, we get it. Right. So this was actually, it was a very timely and applicable in an um, um, online discussion because it's directly applicable to the Bene Essay proposal, which is a, an expression of the Sprout product, which is telling a landowner, we have a plan for how to bring your dream to life, plus other complementary leaves to the plan that end up elevating mm -hmm. the overall well-being of those that participate while fixing the land, <laughs> while making it more organic, while introducing greater energy sovereignty and food sovereignty. You know what I mean? It's like all those things. So anyway, I'm well, getting a little and, 
but, but but I think it, it's fun because we think about product design and game design and yeah. you know the way I speak about it is you know you're getting the right container for the potential because the potential is unlimited but you have to put it into the right container for people to right. feel like they can engage with it you know right. and so that's why all of this enca is encapsulated in a word everybody knows sprout everyone has right. a picture of what a sprout is right, right. Right. And so they're like, okay, that's a living thing. Now, if we told everybody it was been an essay, they'd be like, oh, okay, you know, it sounds cool, but it sounds like I can't afford it. But, right. um, it, you know, and so as we keep going through this process and keep, you know, looking at it from the lens of regenerative design right. and, you know, saying, you know, the, the, the lens that most people in, in the more transactional side of the world they don't want to look through is the external considerations right you know they say they play the odds and say well most people won't eat tide pots so we're pretty good about that and then some people do you know and so the, what do you do you have to have a plan for that right and it's it you and what we're doing is we're going to the furthest point out of, of the of the opportunity galaxy and saying you know it, it, these are possibilities right now are they probabilities no probably not Right. Um, but it's on us as the designers to craft a solution that has considered all of these possibilities. Right. You know, not just say that you probably won't do this. It, you just don't know. Right. And we can't make assumptions about people's um, how they're going to receive information. And so that's why one of the things uh, with the anti-fragile playbook is that it's it's a roadmap. Right. It's like you get to this. It's just like playing a game. Have you done these things? Is this your outcome? Okay. If you haven't got this is an outcome, it's like what Bucky Fuller used to say is that I designed a solution and if it's not beautiful, it's not the right thing. Right. So you, you build people's ability to kind of uh, feel for a right solution, even though they can dig yourself as right or wrong. They right. may not know how to fix it. And so then you just go back and you go through the process again. And you go, oh, okay, this is where it went wrong, or this right. is where the world has changed, right. and this is what we want to do. Because you have to kind of keep refreshing the screen on your mission. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of people who want to create intentional communities. There's a lot of people that want to go off the grid. And, you know, I've said before, it's like when people would talk about going off the grid, Keith, uh, my late husband, who was in an electric wheelchair and on a respirator said, I'd prefer to stay on the grid. Thank you very much. You right. know, there are sensors, things I need. So right. you're not building a community for me. So right. if we're not building something that is accessible and inclusive of the least among us, right. then we are not building the right, you know, container. That's in fact what frustrates me about the people that call themselves libertarians. Like I'm sure that there's there's ones out there that are that are fine, but I haven't met them yet. I um when I was with BitNation, I, I met, you know, uh, anarcho-communist, anarcho-capitalist, you know, straight up anarchist, um, socialist, communist. I mean, I met all those people because what we were providing, at least aspired to provide, were different expressions of governance using the blockchain. And at least, you know, at the surface, it was supposed to work. And what I ran into is that pretty much all of them just want to buy crypto and become rich. Like, it's really bizarre. So I, I, I did, though, I mean, because maybe because I'm naive, but I was like, look, I'm the chief technology officer. Let's design something that actually addresses your, your desires and your needs. And, um, and so like the libertarians are interesting because it's their contention that they, they, man, they are on the cusp. I mean, they're just sitting at the edge of their seats. They're right at the threshold, tip of the tongue, whatever metaphor, they are on the cusp of ushering in a bright and brilliant new reality. If only the government could get out of their way. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Well, let's, all right, I'll take you to task on that. Let's challenge us. Let's design a system that provides, um, reward mechanisms for people to uh, to do the stuff that governments normally do, um, but without violating the non-aggression principle, which says, you know, you can't mm -hmm. actually uh, impose something on somebody else unless you're trying to defend yourself. Anyway, long story short, none of them want it, right? I mean, the thing is, is that ultimately they don't want to have to deal with the um, elderly, the handicapped, the poor, like it really don't. Even if I created mm -hmm. a system, which I did, by the way, BitNation went broke. I created my own company and I, I use a reputation economy that rewards people for, for, for actually helping others. So even if I can demonstrate that it actually increases their profits, they actually still don't want to do it. Not a single libertarian mm -hmm. has signed with me in the four years that we've been a company because they don't want 
to do it. And they, what they want to do is to buy crypto so they can sell crypto so they can get rich and they can try to avoid paying taxes. That is all they want to do. And now mm -hmm. I'm willing to give, there's a lot of people on this planet. So it's statistically possible that there might actually be a real libertarian out there that wants to put into play their brilliant private sector practices that can bring about this great new reality. If only the government could get out of the way. But I, I don't know, man, I'm beginning to think maybe it's not real. So you know, and I, I, I'm okay with challenging people like that. This is how, you know, this is what I liked about skateboarding culture is you give each other a hard time so people can actually figure out um, if they're telling the truth or not. Like you can hear people saying, oh, I did this, I did this and did this. But what's great about skateboarding culture is that eventually you're going to have to jump down those stairs. You're going to have to prove that right. you actually know how to do it, you know? And what I learned about the people that really like to fetishize the different discussions about different types of political frameworks is that ultimately they are fear-driven and they would rather rally the wagons around themselves so they can figure out how to hoard and consolidate as much resources than to actually do something for others. But that's not universally true. There are actually a lot of people that want to do it. And those people are, uh, as Ruth likes to say, acculturated. It's a great word. They, are, they have taught themselves that they are um, uh, consigned to live a life of poverty because they have the the defect of wanting to do better by their brothers and sisters. And it turns out that's not even a true supposition either. That's a byproduct of the system that teaches us that that is the case. So mm -hmm. anyway, the thing is, is there's a lot of opportunities for people to, to unlearn what they have been taught and they will only mm -hmm. do so when the existing model stops working. And they will, by the way, continue. They'll be like a, a, a monkey with a ball peen hammered, ting, ting, tinging on something <laughs> for days in the dark before they finally conclude that maybe it's not working anymore. Even when that's right on the wall, right? They'll, they'll say, I don't know. I'll just keep at it. I think this will continue working. But at some point, they'll figure it out. And I don't know, there's nothing to do but to just continue forward on our path. We know that a small number of people are going to follow what we're doing. They don't have to do 100% of what we're doing. It's still going to be beneficial to just throw a few seeds out there because some are going to pick up. And I can feel it. I know it. That's why I get so animated when I talk about it. Yeah, th there's a, a very, um, you know, part of, of why people have so much distrust of doing something different. Uh -huh. is because they haven't reaped the rewards of the difference right. you know it's and and this has mostly been played out i would say in the food world where they're like eat this don't eat this drink this don't drink this um right. you know oh you, you believed us last time oops here this is what we really meant and it's built and that's happened over generations you know this is not something that's new it's just gotten very refined as they've been able to use data to target you for this this messaging Right. So I understand why people are hesitant. You know, it's sure. Why not? You know, um, and, and I have access to a lot of people and knowledge and information and wisdom and all that. And I still it's hard to pinpoint exactly what you need because it's, it's just you're overwhelmed. Right. So, you know, so we as I said earlier, you know, we practice a lot of compassion. Right. And because we're experiencing this ourselves, and um, and certainly I would say that you and I and Trudy have a greater propensity to kind of leap in than maybe other people do right. <laughs> and just kind of deal with what the outcome, that's not practical for most people. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge that this is why we're doing this work. Yeah. That this is, you know, that people get that you authentically have leaned into failure right. to, to get the, the information that is going to be lead you to the next best question. Indeed, there's actually and, perfect incentive for jump into the arms of failure. Uh, and I oh, was yeah. going to elaborate on that. I hope I did. I've been that. really good at that. <laughs> well, no, no, no. The thing is, is that I, I knew actually, I mean, I was briefly homeless in 2017 and I could see what other people couldn't is that there's actually a rich environment. There's a rich economy of soft capital that, that actually allows them to thrive in exactly the ways that are counter and complementary to the existing monetary system. I could see it. I could see it clear as day. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be fine. We're going to be fine. It's just that people need to get to the point where they recognize they rediscover that which their ancestors counted on for millennia and so i mean i've been all for it like you know uh you're gonna throw my um uh, uh professional life down the stairwell uh and tip the apple cart of my financial um uh uh, uh success i guess that's the word that people use mm -hmm. my my relative um aff affluence uh but i was 
I'm feeling it because actually where I'm at now is a lot better place than most people. Um, and, and, and actually what I wanted to elaborate on when you said about, you know, leaping into the arms of failure actually creates mm-hmm. a rich pool for innovation. I wanted to jump into because I actually just talked about this four days ago. The, 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 the genesis of the word compassion actually comes from Latin, which was actually borrowed from Greek. But it, it, it meant to suffer with another, basically suffer to one. And, and the middle English use of the word was to take in is to experience the same as another and literally. So when people say I have compassion for the poor, that's why I donate $100 a year to um, Mobile Loaves and Fishes as a person who lives way on the west side mm-hmm. of Boston. That's not a true statement. You don't have compassion for them in any real way. That is actually a misuse of the word. You have transacted, you have engaged Mm -hmm. in a transactional exchange that you believe allows you to purchase the right to say that you have compassion, but it's not an authentic one. The Latin word itself was actually borrowed from Greek, which was sympathia, which actually means affected by similar feelings, exerting mutual influence and interacting. So the reason I like to talk about that from a place of authenticity is that when we talk to people who are in a state of shame about their sense of failure, we can say, mm-hmm. I'm going to say just a few words and you're going to know immediately that I know what it's like to be where you are. And this is actually what mm-hmm. I like about this is that I can look at them and they go, okay, well, that guy knows, he knows, he knows what it's like. He's been there. And so then it mm-hmm. opens them to taking a leap of faith. And this was literally our opening podcast episode. We said, mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. other people out there. They look like me. I wonder if they feel like me. It's creating a basis mm-hmm. of empathy and understanding and compassion. And then you can say, sure. So let me play this all the way back to what we were talking about. Let's say you're a landowner and you're in, it doesn't matter where you are. Cause we're talking to people literally all over the mm-hmm. country about this. They have land. And they have told themselves that this is an asset. And then they begin to recognize that it might actually be a defect. It might be the worst case scenario where they owe more than they than the house, the, the house or the property mm-hmm. is worth. And they go, what am I going to do about that? So then they end up talking to Ruth and Kent and Trudy and others within our growing circles. And we come up with this thing and we say, look, we actually believe that if we were to incorporate anti-fragile principles, we could make it more beneficial to have that land as even if it gets worse in terms of the um, real estate and the overall economy. And the way we do that, mm-hmm. this gets into the how, because we've talked about the why and the who, we talked about the what, and now we talked about key performance indicators. The how really touches on the key performance, performance indicators. The indicators are, if we could enumerate, we can decompose the, the reasons why um, a, a declining in, a, a economy could turn property ownership into a defect, then we actually, we actually work with those. We're saying, okay, if we know that increasing taxes, increasing rates, increasing maintenance and decreasing property value inverts the formula. So how do we, how do we put into effect anti-fragile principles to actually turn that all the way around? So we have a system, a solution mm-hmm. that adds benefit, even if things continue to get bad. So we've got on the front page of this Bene Essay proposal, which is a product of Sprout, we've got mm-hmm. increased reoccurring source of revenue, minimal liability, minimal dependency upon fixed infrastructure, reduced tax burden, improved power autonomy, improved soil quality, continuation of stewardship, creating a legacy of opportunity and the protection of the ecosystem. So those end up being the key performance indicators. That's literally what you do when you're going to do a corporate turnaround of a broken pro- uh, company. And then I want to I want to point out is that um, I had built a nonprofit a generation ago, and the people who were the most effective were the moms. One of them is Lisa Gregory. And Lisa Gregory mm-hmm. did a post, and I tagged you, and I was like, sister, you got to see this. And you looked at it, and you're like, oh, dude, we got a product. Boom. And it's Sprout. And it's interesting because, because you want to talk about that's a seed that I threw out there 20 years ago, and it mm-hmm. came back to help coalesce your thinking around this. And it helped you create a product called Sprout, which has manifested mm-hmm. into an expression called Bene Esse, which is a beneficial essence, which means in Latin, what is it? Well-being? Well-being. Dude, yeah. I love that, man. I love it. Well, and, and, and the whole Bene Esse Sprout happened in a 24-hour cycle. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then because we had 24 years of getting to that moment. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and so it's like, like, so when it comes down to, do you have the receipts or show your work? You're like, happy to do it. Yeah, Here you, you go. Have you, have you met Google? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My friend Google. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyway, um, no, yeah. I'm feeling it. I, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm coughing a little bit because apparently this dust in the air today is Saharan dust. I'm like, geez, everybody's coming to Austin. Can we just stop? You know, it's the what? It's like, the what dust? Saharan, Saharan desert dust. Oh, I thought you said like the heron, like a bird, like that kind of bird has a dust. <laughs> it's like oh, learn something every day. Herons have dust. Who yeah. 
Oh, yeah, so dust well, from does, Sahara. But, you know. Okay. Yeah, because it's all Austin, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm I'm excited about it. It's uh, we we worked really hard to get to this moment. There's still lots of work to do, um, but more people are listening. More people are paying attention. You know, and that's the powerful soft capital that yeah. you really need. Yeah. Um, which is especially I, I have I have a lot of gratitude for because it's a very distracting world we're in. There's yeah. a lot of reasons to distract people from solutions. Yeah. Because you know problems they that's visceral for people. Fear is visceral. Right. Joy seems ethereal. It seems less uh, accessible to people, but you know, it, the possibilities are there and we're right. here. Right. Well, what I love about this though, is it because we know actually work it the other way. We know how, because we know what is probably the right things to put together. We know how to measure it using key performance indicators that are mm -hmm. qualitative and quantitative. So we can calibrate the why to the who, and that that goes mm -hmm. from the bottom up, but also from the top down. We know who we're talking about. We know why it matters to them. We know because we talk and we listen with a big capital L, right? Mm -hmm. And we know how to then quantify and qualify how, what measurements you would you would use to demonstrate that you're making progress. And we have defined the what, which I think is actually a pretty decent thing. And then we know the how, and it ends up being mm -hmm. literally a manifestation of the insights you had a decade ago after you did Community Renaissance Market, where you recognize that um, tech has a place, but it's under the hood. And you notice mm -hmm. that we didn't talk at all about tech this whole conversation. Like, no, I mean, it's really the best way to market tech is just not talking about it. Like, honestly, nobody cares how it works. Like when you push the gas pedal, the engine goes like that's all people really care about. So um, it doesn't mean that there's not a tech component. I mean, actually, concurrent to this, we did actually um, in working with my engineers, we brought out the um, uh, the ability to run on what was called the Internet of Things, which allows us to run it into smart appliances and smart meters and mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Dude, there's like four people who care about that. And I'm one of them. So now there's three others I got to talk to. But the rest of the world is concerned about how am I going to stay in my home and blah, 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 blah. That's the stuff mm -hmm. that matters. And, you know, I'm feeling it. When we're, we talk to these people, they're like, oh, these people are going to take my idea and make it real. And I'm feeling it. <laughs> right. That's more interesting to me than tech. Yeah. I And, and I think that that people have, they don't understand how much need there is in the world. Yeah. And if what you end up with is a hundred people, you know, agenting for a solution. Right. Great. Yeah. Cause you can't serve everybody. Right. And, and the fact is, is no one can actually steal your experience and your perspective and right. your lens on the world because it's yours. It's kind of the deal. Right. right. So it's, um, you know, I'm always looking for ways to create accessible products for people. And it's just not physically accessible, but fiscally access accessible too. Right. And the way, what we have to do is, is again, tap people back into their natural productive capacity to produce well-being in ways that are meaningful for themselves and their communities. Right. You know, I don't see a whole lot of people running to market with that. Yeah. There, that seems like there's a whole lot of people that are figuring out how they can benefit from people getting a portion of what they envision. Well, Pete, Pete and, just you a know. minute ago, literally, literally added to the thread, not even a minute ago, says there's, there's, there's tons of people, there's tons of something valuable in the ability to divide people. Our collective benefits get subdivided mm -hmm. by social schisms. <laughs> and that's literally, he says it. So the thing is, what's great and brilliant about Pete, of all people saying that, is that um, one of his frustrations as a, as a skateboard advocate is he never really got proper acknowledgement for truly being one of the most most influential people. Um, we had written a book and, and, and the book ended up getting mainstreamed. The reason it became mainstreamed is because people literally like him invested in building a trust relationship with projects for public spaces. And, um, and they took what they had learned from Pete as best practices that were pulled from the, mm -hmm. from the, from the from the trenches and it and it got moved into the masters of urban planning program and the people who leave the masters of urban planning program become employed within uh planning uh departments uh throughout the world and across the us and in that manner we institutionalized our preferences without engaging in destructive revolutionary acts so mm -hmm. the thing is is that it, it, there's lots of it says there's lots there's tons of something valuable in the ability to divide people in fact the existing system the existing gamified system rewards those for destructive um, um uh, effects 
Um, what's cool is that if you embrace the anti-fragile principles, you, it's very Aikido. You guys just keep hammering at it. We're just going to benefit from each one of your blows mm-hmm. in a way that benefits the system. And we don't need everybody to do it. It's cool. We're introducing something that works in an inverted model relative to what you think works. So that's cool. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of feeling it. Like, I know that, you know, we're not like the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't really care. I actually, <laughs> I actually don't think it works that way. Um, it took a single Pete Whitley to move this into the pub projects for public spaces. And because of his endeavors to build trust, it went into the Masters of Urban Planning Program. And there's going to be a Pete out there that does it for what we're doing. And we don't even think we have all the answers. We might just be one of those people, which I kind of love, you know? So this makes well, me really I, optimistic. No, I, I feel very optimistic. And it's not just, you know, crazy from the heat, which is a possibility in Texas. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Joe Rogan. And I'll tell you, I've never watched his podcast. Um, but I, there was a clip the other day where he's going on some rant about something and halfway through he goes, wait a minute, this might be a fake story. Oh, wait, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And that's it. You know, it's right. just like, again, take a breath, y'all. Yeah. Just do a little, little due diligence called just reading unusual sources, maybe. Test yeah, it well, out what's cool and about the, get, get a sense. Yeah. What's cool about the Joe Rogan podcast is that only now I realize that people actually watch podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure if people want to watch me, you know, in my chair, gesticulating in front of Trudy's art. But, you know, maybe. <laughs> sure. Well, you, that's only on Sundays. <laughs> Seriously, so. That video I released yesterday, I was having the worst allergy attack I've had in months. But, uh, <laughs> but I was feeling it, man. I was from telling you, I was driving home and I was like, dude, this is a video, man. I can do this. And then I did it in a single take and I'm wiping my nose the whole time because I'm sneezing. It's literally the best, um, the best ab exercise I've had in, in, in months is from, you know, the endless sneezing I did yesterday. But now I'm fine. For, you know, I look like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and I got a super sore tummy. But, uh, you know, uh, to, that ex- to that end, like, let's go get some food. What do you think? Because it's, you know, five Sounds good. All right. Well, yes. you know, this is the part where the jazz music starts playing and we're like, okay, I'll see you later, dude. Okay, for real, should I just Bye. drive over and get you or what? <laughs> Yeah, sure. That sounds good. Okay, I'll do that. All right, I'll see you in a minute. Okay, see you in a bit. Bye.